Hello folks, Matthew Garnett here with In Layman's Terms. We are coming back to talk again this week a little bit about morality and do we need God to have a foundation for morality. We talked about natural law last week. A little bit of review on that. More than anything, we're going to bolster that argument with some of the some of the experts uh, on these matters, some of the folks that are really uh, talking about it out there just happen to run across a few things this week that I think will be interesting to you along those lines. Uh, and then we're really going to talk about this week, try to hit the idea of uh, can, can we have the, what, what is the foundation of the forgiveness of sins? That's that's important, especially to, to us Christians. It should be important to everybody. That's something that seems to be lacking a lot in our, what do you want to call it, can, cancel culture society where there's very little forgiveness, very little mercy to be had out there we need a little bit of forgiveness of sins well what do we found that on where can we just kind of just forgive sins at whenever we want how does how does that work exactly it's uh if you think about it, it's a little bit interesting and i'm going to get into it this week and we're going to take a deep dive on what uh not only what morality is founded on what's the origins of morality but what's the origins of the forgiveness of sins because we talked about natural law last week can we get the forgiveness of sins from natural law and i'm going to say no we can't we have to get the forgiveness of sins uh, only from Holy Scripture, uh, only from the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's how we have. That's what the all the forgiveness of sins, even for unbelievers, is founded on. That's the argument I'm going to make today. We'll see how it goes. Before we get to all that, let me remind you to go to laymanstermsradio.org, uh, donate to the Steelers Project. We are still working on getting all the the website updated and all that sort of thing, but still, the uh, the GoFundMe is there for you to donate, contribute to the guys and uh, help these guys that are coming out of a uh, of an incarceration situation into step into a career we we are hopeful that trucking will be a good path forward uh, for folks in that situation and that we can help them make that transition out of that cycle of you know prison out back into prison out back in the the recidivism is what it's what it's known as so please go to laymanstermsradio.org i do promise to update all that uh, as soon as I get around to it, got my hands full a little bit, a lot of irons in the fire right now, but we will update it. The Steelers Project is what we're going to call it, and we do want you to donate to that through the GoFundMe. Okay, so we're going to have uh, uh, Greg Lukianoff uh, talking to Megan Kelly on, and he's talking about authoritarianism, and, and where we're going to go with, with that really is just the idea that if we don't have uh, an ultimate authority, an outside authority, what what we Lutherans call the extra nos of God's word, God's authority, then uh, morality can can break down into authoritarianism very quickly. I think that's one of the things our our culture is struggling with right now. Then we're going to bring in uh, a really uh, riveting, scary, really documentary called "The Social Dilemma." They they are left leaning politically in in that documentary, but. The information they bring out in it, I think, is absolutely correct and something to be aware of. And talk a little bit about AI and what you know. Again, where's this foundation of morality come from? Talk about how computers are programmed. Who programs a computer? How does an AI get its quote-unquote intelligence? Programmer. Uh, so yeah, producer Isaac thinks it's a programmer, and I think producer Isaac is precisely correct. So, and that programmer is a human being. And it's kind of interesting what turns out there. Then we're going to have Pastor Wolf Mueller really give us, uh, I think, a good uh, perspective from from a pastor on on natural law and what what that's all about within our culture and all how all that works. So kind of a review 
of what we did last week. Um, you know, just with with some experts kind of saying the same thing I'm saying. So so we're you know we're laymen around here. We we don't completely depend on you know my opinion or anybody else's you know anybody any one opinion. But uh, but this is really what we're all, we're all circling around and just really to back up our our arguments a little bit. There we're going to bring in that feature and then we're going to explore something that is interesting. I think to think about how do how do how does the forgiveness of sins work? I mean, if producer Isaac over there, you know, comes up and slaps me in the head, and then he comes back a little later and says, "Dad, sorry, I slapped you in the head," and I say, "You're forgiven," and I don't punish him for it, then what what goes on there really? If if producer Isaac comes and 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 steals my phone and sells and takes it down to the local pawn shop and hawks it, and I say, "Well, you know, son, that's all right. I get that you you know you had a." momentary lapse of reason there and it, you, your your sins in that in that regard are forgiven how how does that work precisely so who where 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 how does it so really how does that ripple effect of sin affect others so in other words if i don't make producer isaac you know pay for the phone or whatever else that would that would be the normal thing to do okay well you sold my phone now you owe me however much money the phone was worth uh what who how does all that work, right? What's what's the dynamics of it? So again, we have this. We're searching for these these origins of morality. What are, what are the origins of the forgiveness of sins? Because we can we can find at least to some extent the origins of morality in nature, like Saint Paul teaches us in Romans. Uh, but can we? Where can we find the origins for forgiveness? That's that's one thing I think that's that's lacking. That, that nature doesn't reveal to us is the forgiveness of sins. And that's, that's why I think forgiveness and grace and mercy is something that's very, very difficult to come by because, well, we'll just explore it. We'll talk about it. We'll get into it. And uh, we're going to move into talking about evolution here in the next couple of weeks. I've got uh, a, a paper that was presented at our seminary symposia by my friend, Dr. Benjamin Mays, that he presented. I'm going to be watching that and we're going to be getting into some of that. So we might touch on a little bit of that depending on how time goes here uh, but to start this off let's uh producer Isaac let's go ahead and go to the audio of some of these and the first up we have is Greg Lukianoff he's the co-author along with John- Jonathan Haidt of the coddling of the American mind and he's going to talk to us uh, a little bit about authoritarianism and the dangers of that so let's take a look there yeah that you know spe- speech of violence is essentially um, forgetting the fact that the, this is a, 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 to, a, a tool for um, exalting conflict. And this is something that Jonathan Rauch wrote, wrote a lot about, that the normal model for human society is what he calls the fundamentalist model. And he doesn't mean religious fundamentalist. He means there's someone in charge who gets to decide what is true and what is not. The Enlightenment to a degree, and this is one of the reasons why I think it gets a little bit of a bad rap, was... So just just stop it there a little bit. Um... So Lukianov here is talking about uh, who gets to decide. Yeah, that's that's an important piece. That's that whole notion of you know we had the problem with natural law of of authority, time, and scope. We talked about the the correspondence theory of morality a little bit. The example I used was producer Isaac. We, you know we want to find out uh, whether or not jumping from a high place is a bad idea. So we choose producer Isaac as the, as the ex- experiment to go up and jump from the high place to see if that's, that's a bad deal. 
so we learn from bitter experience. <laughs> that's how that's how we that's how we discover morality. There's got to be a better way. We we've got to there's got to be a better way than to try Marxism and communism and socialism writ large. Uh, than to say, well, let's try this experiment and see how it turns out. 100 million people dead later, we find out that sort of thing is not such a great idea and that we maybe ought to steer away from trying that again. We, we don't want to have to go through that, that bitter experience. But at the same time, we have that problem of authority. See, and that's what, that's what Lukianov is getting at here. Who gets to decide? Because we all are, at the end of the day, human beings. And even if we have scientific data... That, said, that that tells us some information, it doesn't tell us what we ought to do. It's that old is-ought problem. We, we, can say, we can say what is from science, but we, it's very difficult to say what we ought to do without experimenting with it, which again takes, takes time. And then on top of that, even if we discover something like, oh, we ought not institute uh, societies and cultures, ec- uh, economic systems, completely founded on communism. That's a bad idea. That ends up turning out very poorly. We've learned that from bitter experience. We still might not know all the details. That's something we struggle with here. And I'll use these, exa- these are just examples to, to really bring us back to the necessity of God. And really, we'll, again, what we're going to talk about today, the necessity of, of the, the crucified and risen Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of sins to bring us back to Holy Scripture. Right, all this, all this drives that way. All these problems that we see in our culture and our society, all should be pointing us to these couple of things: the, the reality of God, natural law, and, and Holy Scripture. See, that's 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 what we're driving to. But I'm using these examples to show you that these problems, these 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 issues that we can't seem to solve as as human beings living in in a society together, the the missing pieces are God and Holy Scripture. Those are the missing pieces. Because again, you talk about how do we get authoritarianism? Well, some person decides based on the information he has that this is the best thing we ought to do. Why does that person get to decide? Just like Lukianov said, who gets to decide? All right, producer Isaac, let's let's carry on with Lukianov a bit longer. You know, all this stuff that we thought was absolutely true and all the all the shamans and, and, and chiefs had told us was true, when you start to test it, it actually, it's completely false. And it's one of the things that I do think is funny. It- okay, so now isn't that interesting? That the, uh, Lukianov brings up, brings up this idea of we had the, the shamans and these, these spiritual people that, that told us what was right, and we began to test it. Yeah, we sent, we sent producer Isaac up to the high place. Producer Isaac, jump off. See what happens. What's going to happen? Splat. Exactly. So we begin to test these things and we find out, oh, it's completely wrong. Here's the problem. Who are the shamans, the the, the gurus of, of this day? I mean, there are quite properly, since we've had this worldwide plague happen to us, there are quite properly the shamans shall we say, of, of science and research and that sort of thing, getting on worldwide television and, and telling us in no uncertain terms that this is the truth and this is how we ought to proceed. Again, I'm using these examples to show us that we, that we as human beings need a higher authority. Otherwise, we're going to end up in an authoritarian state. 
and that's again one you know that was one of the big things that that started to that I I am convinced God used to call me back to the gospel you know from from nature I guess you could say from from another human being was was Richard Dawkins God delusion you if you have listened to me for any length of time you've heard me talk about this story how Richard Dawkins speaks in this in this incredibly thick authoritarian tone just like any fire and brimstone uh, Baptist preacher would talk about you know if you don't do this you're going to hell type of uh, type of tone very authoritarian type of speech type of uh, drive type of uh, you know motivation and that's what you end up if you cut God out of the equation where there is an authority above men a, a, an authority extra nos outside of ourselves that we can appeal to that cannot be contested where we have some settled things from this God which is what we need Holy Scripture for so we have a, a, a large scope so we don't waste a bunch of time throwing a you know a bunch of producers eyes uh, Isaacs off a high cliff to figure out what's right and wrong but but what we're gonna find is you know what a hundred years later 50 years later however long it might be from now that we look back on you know what some of our shamans some of our authorities said in the year 2022 and find out mm, when we test that, that ended up being completely incorrect. And there's a big debate about that going on right now. All right. So again, who rules, who gets to decide and what is the extent of their authority? Now that's not to say that God does not grant authority to human beings. He does, but what is the limit of their authority? Where can we say, okay, this far, no farther with your authority? Okay? That's what we're talking about. Let's do a little bit more Lukiana, producer Isaac. Is that sometimes we free speech defenders can get sort of like labeled as paternalistic or arrogant. And while that might be, might be true individually, mm-hmm. ultimately the freedom of speech is about a very humble idea that we are all wrong all the time. Our individual biases are going to get us, uh, in some cases, nowhere, or in some cases, worse than nowhere. Um, there's a humility to, uh, to being in favor of freedom of speech, which is that you always take seriously the possibility you might be wrong. Mm-hmm. And there's an arrogance to anyone who thinks that they are uh, that, that they can be the, the perfect censor. Because when you're saying, like, I can actually eliminate discussion uh, on this topic if I don't like it, you are putting yourself in the position of the final arbiter of truth, which is a position that no person should ever take on entirely themselves. That's exactly right. And if you. So there it is. That's that's the that's the problem Lukiana bumps up against. See, we're, we're all wrong all the time. And the answer to that is free speech. Well, I think it's partially the answer. I think it's good for us to discuss things. I we Lutherans are known as being very argumentative. We argue amongst even ourselves a lot uh, about about certain issues. But but foundational to that is is the commitment to God's word being truth. All right now, we might read a passage of scripture describing to us uh, certain aspects of morality or the forgiveness of sins or whatever the case may be. Um, and we could disagree on that. We might not completely understand it, but that's that's what the free speech part is is discussing. But we're all after the same thing. See, we're all after what is God trying to teach us. There, there is a singular meaning 
to God's words. See, that's something else we struggle with as Christians even in this day and time, right? With the, with the advent of <clears throat> post-structuralism, uh, turning to post-modernism, where there are multiple interpretations of Holy Scripture. You've maybe been in some uh, home Bible study where you read a passage of Scripture and people go around and say, well, what does this mean to me? Yeah, you've heard this before. Um, it doesn't matter what it means to you. What we're after is what does God mean by this? That's what we need to discuss. And that's why the free speech part is important, as Lukiana puts off. We all want to put our ideas together because, again, when it comes to science, let's say, we look at a piece of data and one guy might say, well, this is what this, this means we should do. And another guy goes, no, no, we'd say this piece of data would I think this is what we should do. And it's good to have those types of discussions and have them open. And when you shut them down, yes, you do limit your options. Uh, but, but at the end of the day, who, do, who gets to make the final decision um, on things? If everybody's wrong all the time, as Lukianov says, what do we do then? We, we're, 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 all we're left with is experimenting until we get it right. And that, as we pointed out, is not so fun, especially for producer Isaac, who has to be the one to jump off the top of the hill. Let's see, all right. The so we hospital bills are going to stack up, and I'm not gonna be able to afford it. <laughs> producer Isaac said the hospital bills are going to stack up, and we're not going to be able to afford it. And that's absolutely right. That is that is really uh, good insight there for sure. So so Lukianov, while he's pointing out something very important, uh, that we don't fall under a human authoritarianism, uh, we still do need an ultimate authority. Right? Or we've got big problems. Okay, so with that, let's talk about that authority and who, who gets to decide and talk a little bit about uh, another subject that, that, that I'm interested in, and that's AI, machine learning, and that sort of thing, and how that all kind of comes about. Let's, uh, let's look at a little bit of the social dilemma here. Even talking about an AI is just a metaphor. At these companies like, like Google, there's just massive, massive rooms some of them underground, some of them underwater, of just computers, tons and tons of computers as far as the eye can see. They're deeply interconnected with each other and running extremely complicated programs, sending information back and forth between each other all the time. And they'll be running many different programs, many different products on those same machines. Some of those things can be described as simple algorithms, some of those things can be described as algorithms that are so complicated you would call them intelligence. I like to say that algorithms are opinions embedded in code. And that algorithms are not objective. Algorithms are optimized to some definition of success. So if you can imagine if, an, if a commercial enterprise builds an algorithm to their definition of success. So here, now, now this professor, Professor O'Neill, is going to, Dr. O'Neill, is going to say that these, these algorithms aren't objective. They aren't, aren't going to give us an unbiased outcome. They're going to be biased in some certain way. Now, she's going to, to point to... Now, again, the documentary is left-leaning, and she's going to point to, you know, this is really pointed toward making profits. Okay, we can talk about, you know, the good and the ills of capitalism and profits and, you know, how that all fits in with morality and that sort of thing. But that's another subject for another day. Um, really, what, what's interesting about what she says here is that somebody has to program in values to this computer. Somebody has to program those logarithms to 
to, to toward a certain end. And that end could be a whole number of things. In, in this case, with the social dilemma, it's really toward profit making. Okay, that's that's really what. But they could be bent toward anything, really. Uh, they could be written um, in, in in any way, shape, manner, or form. And again, it comes back to what Lukianov was talking about: who decides. And in this case, when it comes to to social media, all the things that are out there. Uh, again, I'd encourage you to watch this. I'm. We're going to talk about it a little later, but we are really seriously considering, and I think we have pretty much made the decision. We're going to move all of our stuff. We're on Facebook today, Facebook Live. We're on YouTube, uh, but we we really made the decision. We're going to start moving our stuff off of those because of <clears throat> what those platforms are are intended to do, and we don't want to be a part of that. Anyway, that's that's another subject for another day. But the point is, is that someone has decided to program this morality program these values into these logarithms in order to accomplish a certain goal. See, that's the idea. So we, in fact, what uh, what Dr. O'Neill is talking about here is, in fact, a computer program or some punk kid that happens to be a genius out of MIT in Silicon Valley playing God. That's what's going on here. And it's, pre- and it's pretty interesting how well they do at playing God, I mean, how successful they are at it. I'm not saying that it's a good thing. It's a really a bad thing because when human beings are the ones programming the morality, programming the intentions, and that is um, interfacing with human beings and, and altering their behavior to a certain way, bending their behavior in a certain manner in order to accomplish a certain end, that's fairly alarming. Um, that's fairly alarming. Uh, I would say borderline terrifying to say that that can be done. Uh, you might have thing you're like, oh, I'm just on Facebook. I'm just, you know, I'm just connected with my friends. I'm get, watch that documentary. You're not just doing those things. There's something else going on there. There, you are being uh, manipulated and used in a certain way. Right now, just to make profits, but it could be bent in all kinds of ways. The point is, is you've got somebody programming values into things, and that that person is not is not going to be pure in their behavior. Again, as Lukiana pours out, we are, we are flawed creatures. Now, there's not any one of us who is able to be, again, the final arbiter of what's good and bad. There's not any group of us that can come together and be that arbiter. Again, pointing us back to the need for God, the need for Holy Scripture, and so on. Let's watch the rest of that clip, Isaac, and um, then we'll move on to Pastor Wolfmuller. Success. It's a commercial interest. It's usually profit. You are giving the computer the goal state. I want this outcome. And then the computer itself is learning how to do it. That's where the term machine learning comes from. And so every day it gets slightly better at picking the right posts in the right order so that you spend longer and longer in that product. And no one really understands what they're doing. Okay, so, uh, right. So that, that's the idea. The, you know, the, the programming is is driving us toward this certain, uh, this certain goal that the programmers have in mind. So, right, this whole idea of machine learning and uh, us eventually having, you know, art, you know, this artificial intelligence on a grand scale, that's why I'm leery of the self-driving cars because you have to program values into, into those cars. The values being, you know, preserving human life, presumably, right? Uh, but, but can machines always make the best, best moral decisions? And um, at the end of the day, uh, are the programmers making the best moral decisions? 
when it comes to even something as simple as, as driving. Okay. Just, the, just pointing out again, we need an outside authority to help us with this. It would be really great if we had an outside authority that um, wrote down some of his words for us in order to, to kind of straighten some of these things out. Okay, let's listen to what Pastor Wolfmuller has to say about this. Pretty interesting as well. Both of us, a lot has changed in American society, law, and culture in our lifetimes. A lot of things have changed. It was never a golden age, but I don't think anyone can say that there has not been a marked moral shift away from natural law, uh, we could just say away from the second table of the Ten Commandments, in the United States in the last 30 years or so, a marked one, and one that seems to have accelerated the longer it's gone on. Does the church have nothing to say about this when the Old Testament prophets had so much to say? about those things that occurred in the pagan nations. You know, it's, it is helpful to see a, a book like Nahum that's directed not at the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom, but directed at the pagan nations. One of the temptations that we have is to, is to, is to preach at the United States uh, like we're preaching to Jerusalem, like we're preaching to the ancient kings who were called to preserve the, the worship of God. It is helpful to see how the prophets preach to a pagan nation and to and we can learn from that because while our our presidents and our elect our president or our elected officials our governors and our congress and so forth are are not entrusted with the work of maintaining orthodox doctrine they're not catechism teachers they are to uphold god's ordering of the world and that we see especially in the second table of the law and that makes space for the first table of the law. Again, to what we talked about earlier. So to preserve God's gift of life and to protect God's gift of life is the most basic and fundamental work that the Lord has given to government. And when the government fails to do that, we would expect God to be involved. We would not be surprised that the Lord would intervene and, and rain down his anger on the bloodthirsty city. I mean, that's what it says in Nahum chapter 3, verse 1. Woe to the bloody city. It's all full of lives and robbery. Its victims never depart. So that the bloody city ought to be warned, and we live in a bloody time. I mean, especially with the crazy, uh, almost incomprehensible exuberation over expanded abortion rights. It, it marks the United States as a bloody city. And I think that if the Lord tarries a generation or two, that, that, that our, our descendants, if there are any, are going to look back on this time as one of the darkest times. So what Pastor Mueller, Pastor Wolf Mueller is driving out there is uh, this notion of God intervening and and really natural law and God's word ultimately p pointing out to us, uh, you know, the, these, these, these issues. Uh, and, and notice again that, that, um, that predilection to drive toward these, uh, deficiencies in something like correspondence theory. So Pastor Wolf Mueller says, in some amount of time, we're going to look back and say, 
good grief, what what were we we doing what were we doing when we were aborting all these children? What was going on there? What were we thinking precisely? Now that that may I I would hope that someday that will be the case. That we we look back on some of the things we're doing in this day and time and, and look at it as with as much disgust as we looked at, you know, uh, the genocide on, on, on Jewish people or, uh, Hiroshima. the, or Hiroshima or Nagasaki, uh, look back on it. Like, um, the sterile, the forced sterilization of, of people with, with, uh, with mental handicaps or physical handicaps, et cetera, et cetera. We'd look back with that much horror, uh, on the situation and again, what Pastor Wolfmuller is pointing out here is, is sometimes God intervenes in these situations. Uh, that, that he is, in fact, engaged. Uh, that, that, as we pointed out last week, that, that, or as, as we're going to point out uh, when, we, when we get to it here uh, at some point, maybe today, maybe next week, uh, that God not only created, but sustains uh, the universe. And that uh, he sometimes results in his intervention when there's uh, an acute period of wickedness that goes on all right uh, and really and really the the need for those things uh, that uh, that, we, that we need the Lord to to intervene in these situations and the thing of it is he has intervened right? we have his word. Uh, what else do we want? I mean, the Lord Jesus Himself said, "If they, you know, let, you know, when He's talking to, uh, um, talking about, you know, Lazarus and the rich man, you know, even even if a, if a man were to rise from the dead and tell and warn his brothers about the destruction to come, that he would not believe." I'm paraphrasing, but that's that's the idea. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. We need to hear. Moses and the prophets in this day and time to avoid what uh, Lukianoff is worried about, which is authoritarianism. To avoid things like Dr. O'Neill's worried about in the in the documentary, the social dilemma, uh, where we've got people programming these values into uh, machines that are that are guiding and directing our behavior, that are influencing our behavior. Um, we we need to hear Moses and the prophets, and that's really the only genuine way I can see. Out, out of some of those things um, and out of the pitfalls of, of falling prey to this experimental <clears throat> uh, move with trying to figure out morality. It takes too much time and you don't have the proper authority. And additionally, to ice the cake there, you don't have all the details of, uh, of situations, which is what we're going to get to next. So, uh, Isaac, let's go ahead and move to the, the teaching slide there. And talk about um, the forgiveness of sins. Now, one thing we cannot get from natural law is the gospel. Nature doesn't teach us that. So if I say, all right, so it's snowing today here uh, in my hometown. And producer Isaac's here in his sweatpants. He's barefooted, got a t-shirt on. And if I just say, all right. Isaac, I want you to go out and live outside tonight. What do you, what's going to happen? Well, freeze. pretty good chance he's going to freeze to death. Nature is law. That's what we call it, natural law. We don't, there is no gospel in nature. 
you, you, we, uh, we have created things to protect us from natural law, from nature, like homes and heat and that sort of thing. We're sitting in the comfort of our little studio here, nice and comfy and cozy and it's warm. But that's because we uh, understand how nature's laws work. Now, there's those physical laws, of course, but there's also the laws of morality, like we talked about. And for the most part, is aside from God intervening in a situation, um, the law of nature is going is going to take precedence, and it does not. There is no mercy. Nature has no mercy. It is it is all law, and if you if you violate its precepts, you're going to be you're going to be punished um, in in a natural way. So where where do we get the idea of forgiveness from? We don't we don't observe this anywhere else except in human beings. I mean, think about animals. There's there's really a, you know we can tame animals, we can teach them to be nice, but really out in the wild, there's no there's no grace out there. You know, a lioness is not going to have mercy on a zebra. Uh, you know, the, there's just, there's, it's survival of the fittest out there, basically. It's the law of the jungle. And so the only place that we get mercy and grace and the forgiveness of sins or the forgiveness of wrongs between human beings is, is among human beings. That's the only place in nature you observe that. But where does that originate? We're, we're not going to get that taught to us from nature. Uh, St. Paul says that the that the glory of God is revealed in the creation in Romans, but this part of God's glory, the forgiveness of sins, isn't necessarily. So where does that come from? What is the origin of the forgiveness of sins? So, or the foundations, I guess. What are the, what's the foundation of the forgiveness of sins? Can we... Or how do we forgive? So if producer, like I said in the opening, if producer Isaac steals my phone, takes it down to the pawn shop and hawks it, what can I do? Well, if I find out about that, he says, Dad, I stole your phone. I took it down to the pawn shop. I hawked it for this amount of money. I can say, well, okay, tell you what we're going to do. You're going to Give me the money that they gave you for my phone, and you're going to cut lawns and earn money to pay me back. That's, that's what's going to happen. Right? So who's paying the price for that sin? Well, Isaac is. Isaac's paying the price for that sin. Literally. Quite literally. If he does that same thing, and I say, okay, well, Isaac, I want you to give that money to charity, and... You know, I know, I know you're in the wrong state of mind, and I get it. You're my son. I forgive you. Who's who's paying the price then? Well, I am, because now I'm out of phone and I don't have the money to get a new phone. I'm I've lost something there. I'm paying the price for producers producer Isaac's sin. So there's um, this notion of penalty with sin. So even if I were to completely allow Isaac to be free of the consequences of his sin by not by not having him pay me back or working off the debt or whatever if I were to free him from those the consequences are still there something the consequences are still going to fall 
on somebody. It's either going to be producer Isaac or me. If I for, if I choose to let let the consequences go, I take on the penalty. So someone someone pays the penalty. So for instance, um, think of a, a judge in a murder case. So we've got you know our our uh, my daughter Amelia, somebody out there, some grievous creature kidnaps and murders Amelia. And we go to court, and it's obvious they've got they've got it on film. It's just completely clear that this is the guy who killed Amelia. But the judge says, "Well, I know all the evidence points toward this guy being the killer of Amelia, but I'm going to forgive his sin. I'm going to let it go. I'm not going to punish him for that sin." So who again who takes on the, the penalty there? Well, Amelia does. She she's the one who bears all the penalty for that, that sin. And on top of that, what would we what would we say about that judge that just completely ignored the evidence, didn't punish the criminal, didn't put him away, or anything else? Would we say of that judge that he's loving and just? No, we wouldn't. We'd say he's an unjust judge for not punishing the criminal for that sin. So, when it comes to sin, somebody's got to take on the penalty. And that's really, that's probably about the most we can get from natural law. In the sense of forgiveness. So, can we take the penalty for a sin? Well, in a sense, we can take the penalty... But all the entire penalty—that's a—that's questionable. Because if if I say to producer Isaac after he sells my phone, hawks my phone, and takes the money, and I don't, you know, I don't have—I'm out the money, I'm out the phone. Um, you know, I need—I'm a, a truck driver. I need a phone to work. Then I've got to dip into my own savings and buy a new phone. There's all kinds of ramifications for that sin. I, I can forgive the sin. I can take the penalty on my part. But now I've also extended. So I'm married to Jen, my wife. Now I've got to take money from you know her uh, her grocery account in order to buy a new phone or you know whatever else. It's it's taking away from our family's income. So it's not only hurting me. It's hurting Jen. And if it hurts us, then it, it might that might ripple out to some others. You know when if when if I was going to help one of my neighbors with, with whatever they might need, you know, say I had a neighbor who was in need of something, you know, they had a child who needed some help with medical bills or they needed some help with groceries or whatever the case, or they needed help with buying a car part or getting a car repaired or something like that. Now I don't have the money. See, now they've got to take on the penalty for that sin as well. If I, if I completely forgive, uh, Isaac in the temporal consequences, so, so we can do it, but can we do it perfectly? Can we perfectly forgive sin? We would have to be able to. We'd have to be able to weigh out who all the sin was going to affect. Um, we and and we really can't offer personal forgiveness on anyone else's behalf. I mean, if if I say, oh, you know, Isaac, don't worry about the money, don't worry about the phone, I'll just. Um, 
you know, I'll just, I'll just buy a new one, no problem. But then Jen goes, wait a second. Um, we don't have the money for you to buy a new phone. I've got to pay bills. I've got to buy groceries. I've got to, we've got to support this house. I've, I, you know, I've got to make a car payment so you can get back and forth to work. It's, you know, uh, I can't forget, I can't forgive Isaac on Jen's behalf. I can't forgive Isaac on behalf of my neighbor who I was going to help with that sin. See, so, so everybody's got to kind of come in and forgive producer Isaac for committing this grievous sin of stealing my phone and taking it to the pawn shop. So these, these ripple effects really make things uh, interesting when it comes to the forgiveness of sins. You know, So when it comes to, to the natural law piece of it, we have the natural consequences... And those break down into two categories. I would say temporal and eternal. So, for instance, if I forgave Isaac's sins, he, you know, if I said, oh, well, let's say I didn't forgive the sin. I said, uh, in, in a temporal sense. And really, I think as human beings, that's all we can do uh, in, in a lot of ways is temporally forgive sins. We can't eternally forgive them. That's subject for a little later. But I can... But I can say, okay, I'm going to let the penalty go for this. Um, And again, the question becomes, is that a just thing to do? I don't have all knowledge and all understanding of how this sin is going to ripple out and affect everybody. So me forgiving somebody for a wrong done to me, sometimes that's the right thing to do. Sometimes it's not. But let's just say I go ahead and I punish Isaac. I say, okay, you have to give the money back to me that, that you got from hawking the phone. And you've got to cut grass to, to buy me a new phone like so before. Okay, I can, I can temporal, temporally uh, punish producer Isaac for that. But eternally I can't. And the idea there is, where do we get this notion of eternal forgiveness? Because I want to be able to forgive producer Isaac on some level. I mean, I don't want to hold it against him his entire life. That's That only comes from the death and resurrection of Christ. That is what the forgiveness of sins has to be founded on because the, the punishment for the sin in order to be paid in full and completely, because we, again, we don't know how far this sin extends. This is just a very simple example of Isaac stealing something from me and who knows who who it could affect? It could it could ripple out, you know, forever for all we know. And some of our sins do; they can alter the course of history. Some sins, and so eternal forgiveness has to be based on the eternal sacrifice of Christ. So, so really, if we are to genuinely forgive one another, there has to be a foundation for that. And that is Christ taking the eternal punishment of our sin upon himself on the cross. And I am convinced, I'm still kind of fleshing this out. This is kind of an idea I'm playing with lately. So I, but I thought I would share it with you anyway. Maybe even get some feedback from you all on, on this idea of, of how, how is it that we forgive each other? Because we really can't forgive without somebody taking the punishment. Now, we can decide to take on the punishment ourselves, but then again, we don't always understand how far that punishment extends. We can't really step into somebody else's shoes and and give the forgiveness on their behalf. That's not right either. So where do we find forgiveness? And why do we lack it so much in our culture? Well, it's because there's so much unbelief. 
Because there has to be, you, you cannot find this in nature. We can't discover nature. We can only f- discover the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins in Scripture. And so when you don't have that or you don't believe it, then forgiveness comes is, is a pretty difficult thing to come by. Because then all we're left with is the, is the temporal, natural consequences of our sin. And for the most part, people are going to make the other person pay. And is that wrong? Is that unjust? Nope. It's the just and right thing to do to make the perpetrator of the sin pay for the sin themselves instead of, of forgiving them. But when we have the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ as the foundation of the forgiveness of sins, then we can say, oh, Jesus was punished for Isaac stealing of my phone and selling it at the pawn shop. See, now I can say, yes, you are forgiven. Because of what? Because of the authority of God. Because of something outside of myself, something that was done um, by an eternal being, that being God, taking the punishment on himself for that sin. I can say, yes, that sin is forgiven. And then Jen also has to say, yes, you know what? Um, I, I want to punish that sin as well, but Jesus already took the punishment for the sin. Now, that puts us back into this category back up here of, of temporal and eternal punishments because now I can temporally punish Isaac because this is what, this is the authority, this is what, holy, this is, see the gears? Here's the scope that, ho- that Holy Scripture gives us uh, to, to live our lives rightly. Because now I can see from Holy Scripture that I've been placed in authority over Isaac to discipline him toward right living. I've been given that authority in the fourth commandment. That shall obey thy mother and father. Third or, uh, Fifth commandment for some of you other folks out there. All right. Um, but I've been given that temporal authority to punish Isaac for that sin in order to discipline him toward right living. I've been given that authority but I have not been given the authority to eternally punish him. I, first of all, I couldn't eternally punish him. The only person that could eternally punish him uh, would be God. And that's, that's how forgiveness should work among us human beings. Is that while, yes, if you murder my daughter Amelia, I expect you to be temporally punished. That is the just and right thing in, in, the, in the finite space and time that we live in to be done. That's the right thing to have happen. Um, however, I can go to that prison and see that person who murdered Amelia, in my hypothetical, and say, I forgive you based on the death and resurrection of Christ, which means eternal forgiveness. But without that, forgiveness is pretty hard to come by. What we're finding out here is that when it comes to Oops. When it comes to morality, when it comes to forgiveness, we start tracing these things down. Um, you know, we we need God for the foundation, really, of everything for morality, for forgiveness, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, tracing tracing morality down gets us to deism very easily. Gets us to the parents that have been handed down this wisdom, their parents, etc., etc. 
So if we if we trace, so just again, just to kind of take the, the a broad view of this. If we trace morality back, we say, okay, well, we understand this morality we have at this point in time that we follow was taught to us by our parents, and this is and, and it's a morality that our culture uphold, our culture upholds. Okay, well, where did we where did our parents get that morality? Well, from their parents. Well, where did their parents get that morality? Well, they got it from their parents and the culture, and, and going back and back and back, and back to where. <laughs> Now, for the evolutionists, this is a little bit more difficult because where, where in in the process did human morality enter the equation? When you know, it's probably, you're going to say, "Oh, well, it's little by little. It was through trial and error, through correspondence theory, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that that human beings became more intelligent, and so on and so forth. And through evolution, we have our moral being right now. But the question is, where did the where did evolution come from? If we're going to call, if we're going to, we're going to place it there. How did evolution start? Well, it started in the beginning. Well, what started at the beginning? And the only thing it could be is what we in the West, or what is traditionally, historically, been called God. He's the source of all these things, of morality, of forgiveness, and really everything. Because when we when we put it in those terms as to, okay, well, through natural processes, da-da-da-da-da, this we got, and then blah, 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 uh, morality, the way we live now. Okay, well, wh- where did the natural processes come from? You, you can't say from nature, there was no nature. What's the source of the natural processes? Now, some scientists, speaking as scientists, will say the, the natural processes came from nothing. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? What, what, what would we do? Producer Isaac, if I were to say, hey, where did this... Uh, Isaac, where did this set of glasses come from? God. Okay, good answer. But if Isaac, if producer Isaac were to say, and I were to respond to producer Isaac and say, oh no, these glasses came from nothing. I mean, in an ultimate sense, that's what we're saying. The glasses came from, if you're going to say the universe came from nothing, in an ultimate sense, you have to say that the glasses came from nothing. But we don't say that, do we? We don't use that explanation on anything else. So why is it that we would use that explanation to try and explain anything, let alone the origins of the universe? But there are, you you can just hunt for it. There are plenty of, I mean, that's what that's Richard Dawkins' position. Where did where did it come from? Well, it came from aliens. Well, where did the aliens came from? Well, we don't know. Where did the universe come from? We know the we know the universe has a beginning. That's been that's been scientifically proven. That's one thing I think. Most everybody can agree on this, that the universe had a beginning. (coughs) And so if we say that, then what we have to say is if it had a beginning, then it had to have a beginner. All right. And we're going to, we're going to flesh this out a little bit more, but why do we say God? Why is it God? Well, um, Aristotle calls it the unmoved mover. 
the source, if you want to call it that. Some atheists like to joke, oh, well, you know, I don't, why don't we just call it the flying spaghetti monster? Okay, if your flying spaghetti monster is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent, cool, we can call it the flying spaghetti. But traditionally, we call it God. That's just the name we've given it to it, given to it. Um, Aristotle gets a little more specific with God. Some philosophical verbiage here for you, pure formal cause. All right, we're going to talk about formal cause and and so on and so forth a little bit later. But let me leave with this, and I might start with this next week. But there's this old joke that, that goes, um, that, uh, m- men discovered one day how to create life. And God showed up on the scene and said, wow, this is, this is wonderful that you all learned how to, to create a human being. Uh, Show me how it's done. Show me how, you, how you're going to create a human being. And the scientist picks up a clump of dirt, just like God did, and says, I'm going to make a human being from this clump of dirt. And then God says, no, get your own dirt. Right? <laughs> so the idea being that, uh, that the material with which to create all that there is uh, you have to be able to create that too in order to create life. So if we presume, if we presuppose that God is telling us the truth when he said he created Adam from, from the earth with, with his breath, then and they, God created the dirt, the very dirt that he made Adam out of to follow the scenario through. So it's not just, oh, can we take the materials that are available to us on this planet or in nature and create life with it? In some ways, some ways we can do that. In some ways, you know, heart, you know, organ transplants are kind of that way. We figured out ways to transplant something as major as heart, lungs, liver, and, and create and sustain life with it. But the thing of it is, where did we get that liver from? We have to trace it back to its source. Again, you take the glasses example. We would never explain the glasses as coming from nothing. They came from something. All right? They came from the minerals and the, and the creators, the people that put these together. They made certain things out of certain things that they mined and put together or fabricated or whatever else. But, they, but whatever material they used came from nature. Where did nature come from? They didn't, these, these didn't come from nothing. They didn't create the glasses ex nihilo <laughs> as God created the universe. And that's what we're going to talk about more uh, the next time. And, and then from there, move into some stuff about um, evolution and creation. Like I said, I've got my, my friend Dr. Mays' lecture that he gave here at our seminary symposia that we're going to go over. But for this time, we are out of time. And I want to remind you <clears throat> that um, we've got the, the Steelers Project going on. Go to laymanstermsradio.org. Please donate to the Steelers Project, and we'll see you next week.